Welcome to the Med Faber Show, where the focus is on helping you grow and preserve your wealth. Join us as we discuss the craft of investing and uncover new and profitable ideas, all to help you grow wealthier and wiser. Better investing starts here. Matt Faber is the co-founder and chief investment officer at Cambria Investment Management. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Cambria's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Cambria Investment Management or its affiliates. For more information, visit cambriainvestments.com. What's up, y'all? Another great show. Our guest is the founder and CEO of DPL Financial Partners a firm focused on the distribution of financial products geared towards the RIA and fee-based channels. Today's episode, we're talking about annuities. Annuities are often thought of as being too expensive and a bad product for clients, but our guest explains how his firm is changing that by removing the middlemen and commissions, which lowers the cost by like 80%. We get into the benefit of annuities, which offer tax-deferred accumulation and income generation, while also taking risk management into account. We hear how RIAs are using annuities for clients and why they make sense in a world with rates so low around the globe. As we start to wind down, we hear about the future plans of the firm, which include building out the suite of offerings and eventually offering a direct-to-consumer product. This episode is brought to you by 10 East. Long-time listeners know I've invested in private markets quite a bit myself, but with access to these markets broadening, it can be hard to know where to find vetted, high-quality offerings. That's where 10 East comes in. Tennis is a platform where qualified investors can co-invest on a deal-by-deal basis across private equity, private credit, real estate, venture, and other one-off opportunities typically unavailable through traditional channels. They're founded and led by Michael LaFell, who spent his early career building Davidson Kempner and who invests material personal capital in every offering they bring to the platform, aligning interests with Tennis members who co-invest at their discretion. Join numerous founders, executives, and portfolio managers from leading investment firms who use 10 East to diversify their personal portfolios. Inquire for membership at 10East.co. That's the number 10East.co. Please enjoy this episode with DPL Financial Partners, David Lau. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Meb. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Where in the world are you today? I am actually in my office in Louisville, Kentucky. I've been coming to the office pretty much throughout the whole corona environment because I had three kids in college who were suddenly at home. And this was like the quietest, safest place for me to be. Well, for most of these millennials and younger, you better get used to them being at home post-college too. That seems to be the residence of choice. Louisville, awesome town. Last time I was there, I was giving a talk at the local CFA Society. But the highlight for me... First time I've ever given a speech, I think, where they gave me a bottle of bourbon afterwards as a thank you for coming. So thumbs up to the local CFA shout out and got to sit outside at a restaurant, eat boiled peanuts, which are like my favorite thing on the planet. Need to get back. Great town. Nice. Yeah, it is a great town. We at DPL give out bourbon at our booth whenever we do conferences. We do tons of events around the country. We have a bourbon giveaway every time, and that's a huge hit. I can see why. Before we got started, who's your baseball team? We were chatting a little before we began. You got a hometown team? My baseball team is the Red Sox. I grew up in D.C. when there was no team and gravitated towards the Green Monster as a little kid. So I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. I've been to Fenway before this year, of course, every year of my life since I'm 16. Awesome. I love it. 
We're going to talk about something today. We've done over 200 episodes, and to my knowledge, I don't think we've ever covered annuities. And we cover some wacky stuff on this podcast. We talk about farmland and quantitative investing. We talked about private equity in Kazakhstan or something. No, it was Uzbekistan in a recent podcast. We never touched annuities. And I'm ready for you to just give us all the pros and cons, the good, the bad, the landmines, everything else. I think a lot of people, when you say annuities, they think of two things. They think of fees and they think of Ken Fisher. So let's go super basic. Most everyone on this podcast is a pro, the listeners, but let's start basic. Talk to us about what is an annuity, general concept, some examples, and we'll start to dig into what you guys do. Yeah. So an annuity at its core, I mean, there are different kinds of annuities and that's one of the big misperceptions for particularly fee only advisors who don't often and haven't used the products in the past because it's been such a commission driven product and industry and insurance. But an annuity is basically a tax deferred wrapper that you can invest in with the ability to annuitize, meaning create a stream of income. That's the fundamental thing that an annuity is. There's three, let's call it three primary kinds of annuities. One is a variable annuity. Everybody's kind of familiar. They're probably the ones with the worst wrap where you invest in funds for during the accumulation point. So, which is fundamentally a great thing, tax deferred accumulation. The historic problems come in the costs and we'll get to that. But so you're investing in funds, tax deferred, and then ultimately, you probably want to turn it into an income stream when the client gets to retirement. That's a variable annuity. Then fixed indexed annuities or fixed annuities are the other side, which basically you're getting an interest rate return, like a fixed return rather than a variable return through the market. So super safe, you're going to think of it and compare it to like bonds and how they perform against bonds. And similarly, you might turn that into a stream of income. Or then you have income annuities, which is what a lot of people think about. SPIAs, single premium immediate annuities, where you turn over your assets, your client's assets to the insurance company in exchange for a lifetime income stream. And those are kind of the three basic categories of annuities. But the fundamental use is tax deferred accumulation and income generation. Also, and through doing those things, risk management. So set the stage a little bit. My parents' generation, my dad was a lifetime aerospace guy. And I remember talking to him when I was younger, but the concept was you get a great job, you work hard, you get a pension, you get to put your feet up, go to Hawaii, whatever it is, when your retirement is secured. That for the most part is no longer the case, particularly in 2020, your kids defined benefit is mostly gone. And so many people are in charge of their own retirements outside of social security. And if you look at the statistics for 401ks and IRAs and everything else, a lot of people aren't focused on retirement. Tell me about the general industry trends, a little bit about why this is a fit, why this is a need in general for annuities. So we'll look at the good aspects and then we'll get into a lot more specifics of what to look for and what to avoid. So the general trends like you're talking about, so funding retirement. So if you think about funding retirement, it used to be easy. 
either maybe you had a pension, like you're talking about your father. Now, like you said, unless you're a government employee, maybe a union employee, you probably don't have a pension. So it's really left upon the individual to fund their retirement. So annuities, oftentimes, David Blanchett from Morningstar Retirement Research often refers to them as the A word. I mean, academics love them, but people get afraid of the A word because there's been so much negative press relative to bad sales practices and tactics and stuff like that. But fundamentally, it's a really good product because it's like a personal pension. You're going to fund it, and then you're going to turn it into that guaranteed income stream during retirement, which is a really important thing, particularly today, where life expectancy is continuing to expand, particularly for the wealthier, healthier set. The Society of Actuaries says that today, a 65-year-old couple, there's a 49% chance that one of them will be alive at 95. So you're looking at funding a 30-year retirement basically on your own, minus Social Security. And you have to do that in a world where interest rates are really low, historically low, and mired there for who knows how long. So the traditional investment approach to funding retirement used to be you allocate heavily to stocks and equities during accumulation when you've got more time and ability to absorb market cycles. And then risk management meant moving from equities to bonds. Well, today, bonds, fixed income can't do the job of funding retirement that it once did. So you have all these problems kind of coming together. You've got expanding life expectancies. You've got pensions going away. You've got interest rates really low. So how do you safely fund retirement income? And annuities are a great answer to that. And historically, I would have the same trouble that most people do. It's a great idea, but they're too expensive. And that gets to what we do at DPL, which is basically reduce the expense because we're taking commissions out. When you take commissions out of the product, you change it completely. I think the average fee that I've seen cited, and I don't know how this includes the commission, but I think Morningstar says it's around 2.25%. Does that sound ballpark correct? It depends what you're including, but Morningstar will tell you the average product cost. So none of the features, not including the investments, is about 140 bips. So about 140 basis points when you add in the cost and the variable annuity of, of the funds, which are typically loaded with 12B1 fees, admin fees, they're expensive funds. That takes you over 2%. If you add in a income rider or something like that, you can be like 3.5% fully loaded into a traditional commission product. When you take the commission out, the commission comes out of the basic product expense. You basically take the product cost down from 140 basis points to 20 to 25 basis points. So that's where the product becomes, again, interesting. As I was talking about, like in a variable annuity, tax deferred accumulation is a good thing. If it's going to cost you 140 basis points to get it, it's not such a good thing. Tax deferral is not infinitely valuable, but at 20 basis points, 25 basis points, tax deferred accumulation for high income earners, that's a good product. Just to give a little context for the listeners who have never been through this. Let's say you're a 30 year old, nice and young, got a hundred grand. So man, you've been saving, you want to put it to work in a variable annuity and just in general, and we'll get to y'all's model in a minute. And you can correct me, like you hit the nail on the head. In my mind, there's two main massive benefits. One is 
this tax deferral. So you put that hundred grand in at age 30. Let's say you're not going to take anything out till 60 or 70 because we're all going to live to 100 now. And at that point, you can establish the percent you want to take out and it gets taxed as normal income on the gains and then the principal gets returned. Is that ballpark correct? Yeah. I mean, you want to think about it a little bit that way, but I would say if you're looking at a young person, if you're a young person, you have a young client, you really want to think about a bare bones annuity. You don't need to worry about the income riders or anything like that because you're looking at 35, 40 years until you're thinking about using them. So why pay for it? So just go to a stripped down bare bones annuity, accumulate for those 35, 40 years, and then start thinking about when you start getting closer to needing income, looking at rolling that product into something else that might be income generating. So listeners, just put this in context. Remember, if you compound at 10% per year, 25 years, that 100 grand is going to be worth a million bucks. That million bucks, if you can compound 50 years, that 100 grand is 10 million bucks. So it's non-trivial. Granted, not many 20-year-olds run around with 100 grand, but just the second main benefit in my mind, so you have this huge tax benefit. And the second main benefit is people tend to think about retirement, I think behaviorally and mentally, different than they do with the rest of their investments. There's their brokerage account, it's fun, it's Robinhood. And then over here is my retirement and putting it into something like an annuity, which in many cases you can auto invest in or invest in every year. And it can be in a portfolio of 100% global stocks or whatever you want it to be in, I think gives it the time to align an investor's true time horizon, which should be decades with actually how they're going to behave. Does that seem accurate to you as the main sort of benefits? Yeah. I mean, there's loads of behavioral benefits for annuities, depending on the phase of investing or retirement a client might be in or a person might be in. So during accumulation, it's helpful through the tax deferral, and it's also a retirement account. So it's not one you're likely to touch. Then as you're getting to retirement, Downside protection features and annuities are great for sequence of returns risk. And then in retirement, that secure income has many behavioral benefits. One, and we experienced this through the pandemic, particularly early on when the market was going nuts and mostly down. And the advisors we work with, they're all telling their clients, hang on, stay the course, let's ride this out. Well, for those who have an annuity, it's much easier to do that behaviorally because they know their income is secure. They're not worried so much about the market going up and down and it being able to affect their retirement spending. And so behaviorally, that's really helpful for clients. All right. So we covered the good stuff. So I imagine a lot of investors are scratching their head and say, okay, why does everyone hate annuities? Why is Ken Fisher always ranting about them? Why are they the A word? And you've alluded to it a few times, but maybe walk us through the pitfalls and the problems of the conflicts of interest and the massive, massive, massive fees. When you look at economists and you look at academics who study retirement, annuities are universally supported. Everybody loves annuities academically. The problem is when you get to the product, and I would tell you, I will say often, the root of all evil when it comes to annuities are commissions. Commissions drive all the problems that everybody complains about. Number one, high costs. As I was talking about just a little bit earlier, it's when you take the commission out of the product, you're dropping the cost 
So that's a huge driver of the cost of the product is having the commission. That's one big problem. Another big problem is bad behavior. You always read about it in trade pubs. Some annuity salesman who sold an 80-year-old woman a product with a 30-year surrender for a huge commission. You You read about bad behavior of salesmen, and that's driven again by commission. The other part of annuities that people don't like, particularly advisors, are surrender periods. So the money's locked up for a period of time, usually seven years, sometimes as many as 10, 15 years. And that, again, is driven by commission because the insurance carrier needs to make sure they've got the funds long enough to recoup the commission that they paid out. So you have all of those problems with the product itself. And then for fiduciaries and fee-only advisors, of which Ken Fisher is one, there's the other problem of because it's commission, they can't get paid. So it's a hardcore fiduciary who says, yeah, let me take a third of my client's portfolio and put it into an annuity, take it out of my AUM and let them live off income from that. I can generate income through investing. So, I mean, there's the classic, I mean, this is the most like 101 level of incentives controlling everything. So the reason most investors won't just go buy annuity themselves is they're endlessly complicated. I mean, I'm a professional and I was looking through some of these annuity descriptions and I literally could not make heads and tails of what was what. Again, the basics of the ones are really simple, but others are not. Second, you have people and companies that are entirely sales driven. I mean, and this isn't just annuity world. This is, I mean, half the financial planning world, the history of you describe the way they make money as production. And you go to Hawaii and go to the hotels and you see everyone that are the top salespeople. And in a world of the internet and distant transparency, much of it feels pretty yucky. And so, and then lastly, it's even not, I don't think a conflict problem, but it is a reality is that advisors who advise on accounts, again, that to put money in annuities, they traditionally will earn nothing from that. So this is where you guys come in, I assume. Is that a good lead in to what you guys are up to at DPL? Yeah, that's a really good segue. Solve all the world's problems for us right now. Let's hear it. That's right. Well, I don't know about all the world's problems, but hopefully most of them as they relate to annuities and insurance generally. So at DPL, what we do, and I've basically spent my career in financial services being a disruptor. In the mid-90s, I was the chief marketing officer at the first internet bank in the country. And the notion behind doing that was not the internet. It was, let's create consumer value and let's do it through changing distribution. And distribution had always been in banking Let's build branches. And building buildings and filling it with people and systems is a really expensive way of selling a checking account or a CD. So we thought if we eliminate the branch and we go direct to consumer, we can provide much better value. Can I pause you real quick? Because I know you were at E-Trade, right? Correct. E-Trade and Telebank before that. I had some fond, embarrassing memories of being at the very distinctive E-Trade branch in downtown San Francisco when the internet bubble was going on. So I was either visiting or living there in 2000, 2001. I remember going into the branch to place trades, which the MEB of 2020 is horrified about, but 
<laughs> just funny to look back on as you were talking about branches and E-Trade. The world is similar but different now with Robinhood and everyone can do it from home at this point. But okay, continue on. That's right. But so anyhow, the big inefficiency in distribution and banking is the branch. In insurance, it's the commission. So much like back in the day when Schwab really created the marketplace, created one source to be a marketplace for no-load mutual funds, basically that's what we're doing at DPL. We're working with carriers to eliminate the commissions, take out that expense and inefficiency in the product, and create a marketplace of commission-free insurance products, which start with annuities, but include life insurance, long-term care, disability, all products that you know the typical financial plan or aspects of life a typical financial plan is going to address. So that kind of starts the chain of creating a value proposition for clients and advisors. We launched the company two and a half years ago. And prior to that, I'd spent a decade building a company called Jefferson National, which was the leader in providing no-load annuities for RIAs. But we launched DPL with six carriers and a dozen products back in early 2018. Today, we've got 20 carriers, 45 products, starting to build a real marketplace of commission-free insurance. So we work with the carrier on the products, and then we work with RIA firms to support them in a very strategic way to introduce insurance into their practice. And we work on a membership basis. So we've got RIA firms who join DPL as a member in the two and a half years we've been doing that. We've got over a thousand firms who've joined. Wow. Awesome. Congrats. And I imagine the RIA is listening. You guys don't charge that much. Is the business model a little bit of the sort of membership fee and then also partnership with the underlying providers? Yes, exactly. So we don't charge very much. It's a unique model. So in building it, there was nothing to point to, to say what's a reasonable fee to charge. Most firms we work with will tell us we could charge quite a bit more, but that's not been the goal. The goal was to build the network. Having the network of advisors, the membership base is really what drives our ability to innovate and drive product creation with the carriers. So it's one thing when I can kind of trade off my name and getting started and get a few carriers to build products. But it's another thing when we can say, hey, we've got a thousand RIA firms with a collective 250 billion in AUM that we represent. And we're looking for these kind of products and this kind of pricing. And so we've got a lot more power in doing that. And that'll just continue to grow as we continue to launch. But what we do for our members is really we kind of become their insurance department. So a typical RIA is not insurance licensed because, you know, why would you be if the products have been commissioned all along? So we are the licensed agent. We work with our RIA members to educate them. We educate on products, we educate on usage, and we teach them when products are most effective and when they're going to be most helpful to clients. And we base all of that off academic research. Then we help implement. So when a client comes in or a client's nearing retirement or what, you're redoing the financial plan and you're identifying an insurance need, you talk to one of our consultants, they're going to talk about the client's situation, and then they're going to give you a couple product options. They're going to say, here's this one will do this and this one will do that. 
and you'll de- help determine the appropriate one for your client, and then we'll implement. We'll be the agent of record. We'll take care of all the paperwork, and then we'll make sure you get a data feed into your portfolio management system so you can see the account. And if you want to illustrate it in your financial planning software, we can help you do that as well. I imagine you're incredibly popular with one cohort, which is independent RIAs, and incredibly unpopular with the people that are still charging 8% commissions. So that's a good Venn diagram to be in, by the way. There's so much fat in that space. It's astonishing. And you have one part of the world, like the public funds, where the trickle has become a flood and essentially the dam breaking on all these old school high fee funds, money going into the lower cost ETFs and such. But there's so much that still has trillions that hasn't been disrupted. Talk to me a little bit about, and you can take this question in a few different ways, how the thousand or so RIAs are implementing this. Do you see any trends? Are most of them just saying, hey, I'm going to do variable annuities across my book, or are they super specific? You referenced insurance. would love to hear you talk a little bit about that. But like, how are people using it in the last two years? Are there some surprises? What else? So, I mean, in a lot of different ways. So when I started the company, the RIA insurance market was basically term life and investment-only variable annuities, what we did at Jefferson National. So just super low cost, get your client out of an expensive product, move them into something cheap. That was basically the market in the RIA world. So as we launched DPL, that was kind of the first product sets people were interested in fill those kind of products for us. As we've continued to educate and bring more products and carriers to market, now that's shifted. The 1035 exchange into a low-cost product, that's several products or solutions down the line. Right now, what we see RAs really using are products that generate income and specifically fixed products. So fixed index annuities are the most popular product category on our platform that RIAs use. And it's typically making an allocation out of fixed income for some period of accumulation because the interest rates in those products are really attractive and then turning it into an income stream. And the reason RIAs are doing that, one, as you know very well, the interest rate environment's horrible. It's hard to find safe investments that can cover your fees, can keep up with inflation, all of that kind of thing. So the annuity can provide a pretty attractive accumulation rate and then a really attractive payout rate. So for example, a typical fixed index annuity that we might have on the platform, you can accumulate in a fixed account at 2.75% today. You can accumulate for however many years at a rate like that, and then turn it into a 5, 6, 7% guaranteed lifetime income payout. And the advantage of those products, and which has been eye-opening for a lot of RIAs who haven't been as familiar with annuities, is you're not annuitizing to create that income. And annuitizing means, as we talked about earlier, turning your money over to the carrier. It's that irrevocable decision to give the carrier your money and turn it into an income stream. Very few people actually do that. It's almost too big of a commitment. The way income typically gets generated is through a rider. And the advantage of that to the account holder, the client, and the advisor is the account balance is always available until it's been depleted. So if you change your mind, if you need the money, you can take it out. It's still available. You haven't annuitized. 
So that's the most popular strategy today that we have. Variable annuities, people are getting there. They're starting to get there. But because fixed income, I think, is such a challenge as an asset manager, it really makes the fixed annuity much more appealing. It's certainly going to create a lot of stress in the system. The conversations are happening, but you're starting to see them with increased frequency from advisors and others when you have the 10-year sub 1% is what do you do? And forget about the rest of the world where sovereigns are trading at zero and negative. I think many advisors are also woefully unprepared for a potential world in the US where that could happen too. I was joking on Barron's about a month ago where they did a bunch of surveys and polls and they were asking where they thought US interest rates would move to and they didn't even have negative as an option. And I said, well, it may not be probable, but it is certainly possible. And that actually makes me even more bullish that it actually happens at some point. One of the things that we talk about is what's the effect of that for the client? And you see, I liken it to my waistline, which gradually increases. You, know, you don't get overweight overnight. What you see happening to client portfolios is they become more and more allocated to riskier investments, whether that's heavier into equities or income generating products that have more risk than traditional bonds or treasuries. And there's a terrific set of charts that we've got from the Callum Institute that they looked at, if you were looking to generate a 7.5% return, 30 years ago, you could do that being 75% invested in cash. Imagine that. 75% invested in cash, 25% in US treasuries to generate 7.5%. Fast forward 15 years. So 15 years ago, you'd have to be 50% in equities and 50% in fixed income. In 2019, if you could even get to 7.5% return, you'd be 96% in equities and 4% in fixed income. So the point being, I don't know that anyone's shooting for a 7.5% return right now or expecting a 7.5% return, but basically in order to get the same amount of return, there's more risk in the portfolio. And that gets to be a particular problem when somebody gets in or near retirement. Well, to depress you even more, it's actually, I think, worse than that because most pension funds still have that assumption ballpark. And if you look at survey after survey, when they ask individuals, it's always around 10%, and including last year's Schroeder's, the US had the highest response rate in the world for equities, which was 15%. And that's just not going to happen. There's two other problems I foresee with what people are going to do about the future in the traditional US stock bond. One is as bonds go negative, I don't think that it's a guarantee that bonds will hedge a down. So you have no more income, so that's no question. But people assume and still make the allocation that bonds will always hedge a US stock decline. And you can't count on that. I mean, the bond stock correlation has varied over the years. And if you actually look at foreign markets during this past 2020, many of the negative yielding sovereigns didn't help in February and March. And so you create this just really challenging problem. And if you believe us, stocks are overvalued too. So you have sort of a dual headache anyway. It could be problematic. Exactly. So where do you find safety for those people who are in retirement, near retirement, 
who, like you were talking about earlier, now change behaviorally. Once people get to retirement and near retirement, they're a lot more concerned about their income and preservation of what they've accumulated than trying to accumulate. One of the things we do is surveys. We survey our members. We got over 200 RAs responding to a survey earlier this year and said, what do your clients value more in retirement, predictable income or asset growth? And overwhelmingly, more than 80% are saying predictable income. So where do you find predictable income now when you're saying the investment markets are challenging in every way? You have to look to annuities. I mean, annuities are a product designed specifically to do that, create that efficient, predictable lifetime income. So you guys have a great website. You can register for free, play around, a lot of videos from Wade and others, a lot of research. You guys have a nice focus on education. What are some other areas, if there's anything that we haven't talked about that is something that you guys focus on or that even on the stuff we have talked about that is particularly interesting that we've kind of glossed over or avoided? Anything come to mind? Not product related, but what I'll tell you, like practice related, business related, I think some of the interesting things are, and the real reason that firms join is for enhancing their business. So the annuity market, for as maligned as annuities are, the annuity market's a $4.5 trillion market. It's bigger than the entire RAA market. It's massive. So whether you know it or not, your clients probably own annuities. And that represents an opportunity for AUM growth and consolidation of relationship. So when we look at annuities, because our annuities are so much better price, so much cheaper than what your client probably owns. In most cases, we can roll them over into a new commission-free annuity, saving clients on average $3,500 a year in fees, bringing the assets under management, eliminating a separate advisor relationship if that advisor still is in touch with them. But that's one area of growth. How does that work? So let's say I'm an advisor. I listen to this podcast, say, Meb, David, you guys sound brilliant. I totally have all these clients who probably have these garbage annuities. What do they do? They ring you guys? Do you put it in like a software optimizer? Do you have a consulting team? How's it work? Yeah, both of those things. So we invest heavily in technology. So we've got an annuity comparison calculator that is an incredibly complex tool that can literally take any annuity ever sold and model it and then compare it against the annuities that we have. And then we've got a team of consultants who will work with the advisor. So oftentimes the client bought the annuity, they may not even know why they bought it, for what purpose, what features or benefits are in it. So we're gonna take a look at it. We can pretty much tell the advisor right away what the product is designed to do. And then we wanna check and say, is that still the goal? What is the goal for this client? Do they still need guaranteed income? Maybe they've got plenty of rental properties or who knows what to generate income. What are we looking to do for the client? We can punch that into our calculator and find the most efficient product to do that, which is kind of a reverse approach from most insurance people who are trying to sell you as much coverage as they can sell you. We're going to try to tell you what's most efficient for the client, meaning what will take the fewest amount of dollars to generate the outcome they need. So we do that through technology as well as our consulting team. And that's accessible through our site. We're also working on partnerships with 
lots of other platforms, RA platforms, so it would be available. Those tools would be available in many desktop systems, portfolio management systems. But basically, yeah, if you're that advisor and you've got a bunch of clients with annuities, you can give us a ring, talk to our consultants, and they can lead you through the process. We had a firm the other day, as a matter of fact, who had questioned whether or not they've got clients with annuities. They sent out an email to their client base asking if they had any annuities they'd like to have reviewed. They got over a 30% response of their client who had annuities to review. So we wound up with 90 annuities coming in for us to take a look at. And I feel like the way that people end up with all those annuities is they have an advisor, which they trust, but they also got a buddy or a cousin or an uncle who sells them some crap annuity and they just put it in a total different bucket. Most of them don't even put it in like, here's my financial advisory bucket. This is just thing that I bought that someone told me to buy. Now I have it. Now I don't know what to do with it. I talk to a lot of people like that. What's the typical, if you had to say, demographic of someone who's buying annuities? Is it someone who's like 40, saving for retirement? Are people doing it for their kids? Is it what? I mean, typical 50 to 60 year old, sometimes a little older, but 50 to 60 year old is kind of the sweet spot. And that's like, if you were using annuities productively in your practice, that's probably when you're going to start thinking about it. Any earlier than 50, that's what we were talking about previously. You want just to strip down low cost for a high income earner who needs to defer taxes, particularly if they live out in California. They want to defer some income taxes. You might do that. But the sweet spot is starting to approach retirement. Then you're going to have, if you start thinking about annuities, then you're going to have the most product options to meet your client's needs the best. We did an old podcast with a fella named Paul Merriman. And I don't know if you know Paul, but he used to run an RIA in Seattle by the same name. And he does a fun thing for his grandchildren where when they were born, he would put 10 grand into a variable annuity, but because he doesn't trust them, not because they're just kids, but because people are people wraps it into a trust so that they can't touch it until they're 50, I think. So that 10 grand, theoretically, if it's, again, all in equities, becomes a million dollars. And it's sort of this magical aha moment for people, I feel like, to think about securing a retirement for not that much money. I mean, 10 grand is a lot of money, but relative to a million dollars later, what a cool idea. I mean, do you hear advisors or people doing that for young people? Is that a thing that's widespread? I don't even know. I wouldn't say widespread, but I've definitely heard that. And it is kind of, a, like you said, a very cool way of effectively providing retirement for a relatively modest amount of money. I mean, without having to go through trusts and planning in that regard, just buying a packaged product that, again, that owner of the account can't touch without significant penalty prior to 59 and a half. Interesting. You alluded briefly to insurance. Is that a small part of your business thus far? And what are you guys focusing on there too? So when I launched the firm, the goal was let's be able to check the box for each product category an advisor is going to address during a financial plan. 
And that is life insurance, long-term care, disability, and annuities, guaranteed income in particular. So we launched with some life insurance and annuities. And over the course of the last couple of years, maybe two months ago, we finally brought disability to market. And earlier this summer, we brought a long-term care product to market. But we wanted to do that for many reasons, but primarily because we want advisors to be able to serve those client needs within their practice. Because it doesn't make sense. If you're doing financial planning and you're effectively writing a prescription for those products to then send your client away to somebody else to get them fulfilled. That doesn't make sense on all kinds of levels. You run business risk of sending your client to an insurance agent who is, by the way, becoming more and more competitive with you every day. Typical New York life agent now is a CFP, not just a life insurance salesman. They want to manage the whole relationship. And you make sure that when you do it, handle it in-house, whether you're using somebody like us, that they get the right amount of coverage and that the money is not coming out of your practice. That's what we really wanted to solve. And that introduction of the disability product through principle a couple months ago kind of finally checked all those boxes. But we continue to bring more and more products to market because in life insurance, and I mean, the reason RIAs have been historically just term life users is it's by far the cheapest way to get that protection and that coverage. And term life wasn't even something we were going to address in this business because the compensation built into term life is just not that much. You really don't change the pricing all that much. But permanent life insurance is actually a terrific product, again, when you reprice it. Structurally, you can invest in a variable universal life. You can invest in funds accumulate tax-free and take assets out tax-free from the product. That's, again, a great structure while providing life insurance. The problem, again, has been commissions. In a permanent life product, the commission is typically 60 to 80, sometimes more than 100% of the first-year premium. Meaning, if you're putting in $10,000 into a permanent life policy, eight thousand dollars of that probably goes to the agent who sold it. Two thousand actually goes into the policy to provide the coverage for the individual. When you eliminate that commission, that becomes an incredibly powerful product because all ten thousand dollars goes to work in the policy rather than being paid out to the agent. So permanent life is something that we've definitely seen a lot more interest in with some education and repricing of the products. And on the flip side, I don't know how you can be listening to this and particularly be a young person in this industry that's commission-based and think you have any shot at being a future-proof job. I was smiling as you were talking because you clearly must be doing God's work because there's a beautiful Louisiana sunrise going on behind you that was given, David, if you're watching this on YouTube, which none of you do, by the way, but if you were, you could see this beautiful halo behind David. You guys are currently structured, to my knowledge, just B2B. You partner with RIAs. There's no sort of direct-to-consumer offering, correct? We get a little direct-to-consumer from effectively referrals from RIAs. So for those who are planners and aren't investment managers who provide clients with financial plans and they'll refer them for their insurance needs, you know, consumers to us, and that's been a really good thing. But yeah, eventually... The goals we'd like to be direct to consumer. 
I got some ideas for you later on that. We'll take that offline. As you look to the horizon, what other ideas you guys kicking around? I mean, it's, as you mentioned, a multi-trillion dollar industry. Is it simply land and expand everywhere you can? Is it to build out a sales team? Is it to onboard new partners? What? It's all those things. In the startup business where you're building it out, you're growing in all those different areas. But when I look at you know, kind of being methodical about serving the RAA market, it started with products. You've got to have products. If you don't have the products, you don't have a marketplace. You don't have a business without the products. We started working with carriers, bringing products to market, again, getting them repriced, helping carriers understand how to serve a fee-based advisor or a fee-only advisor because they're used to paying commissions, not allowing fees to be pulled. So we've had lots of ongoing work to do there, and we're making tremendous progress. Like I said, 20 carriers, 45, 50 products. So we continue to bring more to market. That will always be a focus. The other part is technology. So it's one thing if you've got the products and they're kind of held away and you can't really see them, maybe you get an account balance brought into with a data feed into your portfolio management system, but it's not really part of your workflow. It's not part of your system. That, so where we've been focused is in bringing our tools onto platforms. So a month and a half ago, we announced a partnership with SSNC Advent for their Black Diamond platform, where they're introducing the Advent insurance marketplace powered by DPL. So we will actually have our tools and capabilities built into Black Diamond. So insurance and annuities will be represented within your portfolio, and you will have the tools to do product discovery and comparisons, the tools that we've created. That's a big evolution. If ultimately you want to serve the RA marketplace, you've got to basically make it work within the practice, not just provide the products, but provide all of the things from the products, the technology, to the licensing, and all the support that's necessary. So for the non-advisor individuals out there who are listening to this, what's your advice to them? I guess the first part would be just find an advisor to partner with. But is there anything they can do as far as like, if look, we're like, all right, I'm not going to get an advisor. I'm allergic to them, whatever. Are there any resources or are there any guidelines as far as getting smart about annuities or places to go to at least not jump on a massive landmine? Well, we can definitely help. So, I mean, go to DPLFP, dplfinancialpartners.com. Like you were saying, our website, you can register for free. We've got tons of content around annuities and thinking about annuities and how you might use them. Our consultants are happy to help you do product comparisons, help you find the right product for what you're concerned about or looking for. That's basically what we do all day, but usually through an advisor, but we're happy to talk to consumers directly. And what do they do though? If they want to go buy one, do they just have to go direct to the sort of issuer or something? No, we do it. Oh, really? Yeah. So we're the agent. So that's the same way in working through RIAs. Again, because most RAs aren't insurance licensed, we work with the RAA to decide on the product. And then ultimately, we make the recommendation. We're the licensed agent. We issue the policy. Then we add almost very similar to your custodial account. 
your client actually owns the custody account at Schwab or wherever, the advisor is added through a limited power of attorney to be able to manage the assets. We've basically taken that same model to insurance. So we're the agent, we'll open up the account, and then we'll add the advisor through a limited power of attorney to be able to manage the policy. So very similar. And so for the consumer, they can come to us directly. We'll write the policy for them, help them find a good one rather than an expensive one. What what percent are kind of garbage? You have a ballpark. Garbage may be a strong word. Let me reframe the question. What percent do you think are acceptable that you would put your relative or children in? Again, I'll go to the commissions, the root of all evil when it comes to annuities, because you're talking about the complexity of products. Commission is also the reason for complexity. I mean, these products effectively should be commodities. Basically, a tax-deferred wrapper with the ability to generate income. It should be a commodity. You're just looking at price. What does it cost? What are they paying? What are they getting? Because the structure is a commodity. So the problem for carriers is in order to sell product, they've got to create all kinds of bells and whistles to try to differentiate and try to create a sales story. So a lot of the commission-based products are one, all that expense that we talked about, complexity that we've talked about. So to me, loads of those products are, I won't go so far as to say garbage, but they're difficult products. It's hard to get the benefit out of them because of the expense and the complexity and all the features. So looking at, and always a commission-based, a commission-free product is going to be a better product than the commission one. So if you've got the same product from the same carrier, one's commission-based, one's commission-free, the commission-free product is always better. So, I mean, I think that's a pretty simple gauge if you're interested in annuity. You should always ask your advisor, can I have a commission-free product? Wirehouse advisors, broker-dealer advisors can all find commission free product. And I think that's a general good guide. I mean, just like mutual funds, you want to load mutual fund or you want to no load mutual fund. It's a no brainer. You slap a 7% fee on everything Vanguard offers. And I think Bogle probably would agree it is a steaming pile of poo too. So that's exactly right. Amazing how that works with commissions. David, this has been great. Super informative. I've actually learned a ton today. As you look back on your career, we always ask people, what's been your most memorable investment? It could be good, it could be bad, but anything that's seared into your brain. I have about 10 that I could tell you from my E-Trade headquarters in San Fran Market Street, but anything coming to mind? I can give you the one I missed. I mean, I can give you a few of those, but number one was AOL. So I grew up in Northern Virginia. One of my best and oldest buddies, father founded AOL. He gave me a call when I'd been in the work world for, I don't know, a year and said, hey, my dad's company is going public and they've got this friends and family offering. If you want to get in on this IPO, it's going out at $10 a share. There's a huge amount of institutional investors getting in. They think it's going to pop to like $20 a share within a couple of weeks. Could be a really great opportunity. I had about 1500 bucks to my name at the time. And I was thinking, what's the big deal if I put 1500 bucks in? But it would have been a very big deal had <laughs> I put 1500 bucks into AOL at its IPO. But back in the internet days, all the internet companies were all talking to one another, trying to figure out how we could work together. At least let me throw some ads up on your site and I'll give you some of my PE money and 
you can put some ads on my site and you give me some of your PE money. So it looks like at least we're making revenue. But I can remember talking to eBay and being at eBay's headquarters and thinking, what a dumb idea this is. And like how wrong you were about that. But at the time, you've got pictures loading up over dial-up, taken on some crappy camera of some piece of junk somebody's selling. And then somebody is supposed to bid on this and send a check cross country on the promise that this person's going to send this item to them. I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to do this. How wrong I was. It's funny you mentioned those two because there's a very modern equivalent, which everyone can relate to as well, which are the two big ones. I mean, Uber and Airbnb. I mean, I think Airbnb, by the time this publishes, will have gone public. But same thing, Uber, no way I'm getting in some stranger's car and Airbnb, no way I'm staying in some stranger's house or let someone stay in my house. And I think the framework that I heard from an angel, and I can't remember who this was, so I apologize, but said basically the best way to think about startup and angel investing is not all the reasons why it won't work, but if it did work, what if it did work, what could this be? And you can kind of see, obviously, from your examples, as well as the more recent ones, the result is $100 billion plus companies. So what if DPL does disrupt the entire annuity space? Awesome. This has been great. Where do people go if they want to find out more about you guys, what you're up to, onboard, all that good stuff? DPLFP.com. So David Peter Lau, financial partners, DPLFP.com. That's the best place to find us. And I forgot to ask last question while we're on the topic of Starbucks. How are you guys doing this? You bootstrapping, self-funding? Do you partner with some VC money? How are you building it? I bootstrapped it for a while, then raised some private investment through a company called Eldridge Industries owned by Todd Boley, who's a big investor in the Los Angeles Dodgers, one of the owners there. And we're currently actually very close to closing a Series B to further expand what we're doing. So congratulations. Thanks. It's been really good. We've got almost 50 employees now. This next round of capital will take us through hiring the next 20, 30 people, which will be terrific. But one of the things when you do this kind of thing, raising money, you're talking about angel investors and that optimism. It's interesting as an entrepreneur, what you go through, you get the angels and the VCs who are generally optimists. They're the ones who are seeing the vision, they're exciting. And then you get to the stage of taking PE money. And now those guys are the ones seeing all the risk. What are all the downsides? How do I protect myself? Blah, blah, blah. So one of my old jokes is if you're at a cocktail party, you got VC people and PE people, you want to talk to the VC people. Much more interesting, much more optimistic, happier people in general. Yeah, the PE tends to focus all on cash. And speaking of, when I was thinking about the risks earlier, the PE asset class has been the one that many institutions are hoping to be the savior, where equities, bonds, not so much, but PE. Dave, this has been a blast. I've had so much fun. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Appreciate it, Meb. Thanks for having me on. Enjoyed it. Podcast listeners will post show notes to today's conversation at mebfaber.com forward slash podcast. If you love the show, if you hate it, shoot us feedback at the mebfabershow.com. We love to read the reviews. Please review us on iTunes and subscribe to the show anywhere good podcasts are found. My current favorite is Breaker. Thanks for listening, friends, and good investing. Good investing.